I, I was debating giving this announcement before I began the message here, but um, I just feel the need to say if, if some of you are kind of looking around and feeling like we're a little sparse up here on the stage, and also if at any point I'm starting to stumble in my message, the last 24, 48 hours, we've had a lot of people call in sick. Uh, we've got a number of families that are at home today, and we've had to make some changes in how we do our service, uh, including Pastor Mark and Judy, uh, the Connection Class leaders, and a few others. Uh, so be in prayer for the, those families as they're out sick, uh, as they're having to stay home today, and just continue to pray as, as we go through the rest of this service here. Uh, so if you would, turn to First Kings chapter 18. We're going to take a segue from our series from Ephesians. And, and we're going to be talking uh, uh, about Elijah and his work here today. So 1 Kings 18, and we're going to jump around a little bit because this story is very long. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 18, verses 21 through 24, and then 26 through 39. So uh, 21 through 24 and 36 through 39. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen, and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will not put fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that is a good idea. And then down to verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Then all the people saw it, fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Um, this story here in, in 1 Kings 18 is, is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and, and I think one of the reasons it's one of my favorite stories, well, really, Elijah the prophet is, is one of my favorite people of the Bible because his story, and especially this one, sort of plays out like, like a western. Uh, it sort of plays out like one of those old spaghetti westerns that you would watch back in the 60s or 70s because Elijah is like the drifter. He's like the one that has been cast out of town and a bounty is on his head. And then you've got King Ahab, who's kind of like the corrupt sheriff of the town, and, and uh, he has the bounty on Elijah's head, and he's trying to control things there in Israel. And how the story really starts is, is back in the beginning of chapter 18, 
or excuse me, uh, the beginning of chapter 17, Elijah shows up and he sees that King Ahab and his wife Jezebel are doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. They turn the people from, from the God of Israel, they've turned the people over to the God of Baal and Asherah. And, and not only that, they've killed the prophets of God so that the people cannot hear the word of God. And so when Elijah shows up, he prophesies that Israel will be in a drought and will not see rain. And sure enough, that's fulfilled. And Ahab has now a bounty on Elijah's, on Elijah's life. And he believes if he can get to Elijah and kill Elijah, then rain will come back on the land. And so he sent his people out all throughout the land to look for Elijah, and he's nowhere to be found until we get to chapter 18. In chapter 18, you have King Ahab and one of his men, Obadiah, and Obadiah is still a righteous man, and he's actually hidden the prophets of God. They go out looking for grass so that they could feed the animals. And, and Obadiah sees Elijah on the road, and, and he's kind of afraid to see Elijah. Uh, but also happy to see Elijah. And when he runs into Elijah, Elijah says, you go get King Ahab and tell him I'm here. And Obadiah says, oh, hold on a moment. There is a bounty on your head. And Ahab has been known to kill people that claim they found you and you don't show up. How am I to know that if I go get Ahab and come back and you're not here, he's not going to put me to death? And Elijah says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to face Cain Ahab all by myself. And so Cain Ahab shows up, and, and he meets with Elijah, and Elijah offers to put Ahab and his prophets to the test. And he says, meet me on Mount Carmel, bring all of your prophets, I believe it's 400 uh, prophets of Asherah, 450 prophets of Baal, and we're going to have a contest on Mount Carmel, and we're going to see whose who's God is stronger Asherah and Baal, or the Lord, the God of Israel? And Ahab says, that's a good idea. You know what? Let's settle this once and for all. The people are going to see that Baal and Asherah, they're the true gods of Israel. I'll meet you out there. So kind of like a Western, they go out at high noon for a duel, so to speak. And, and when they show up, uh, Ahab calls all the people of Israel to watch this, and he has all of his prophets ready to see what's going on. And so Elijah comes out, and he sets the standard for what they're going to do for that day. And what he says to, uh, to Ahab and the prophets and the people is he says, first of all, come near to me. Come, come and listen to the words that I have to say. And, and it's very interesting. He says to the people, not to the prophets, not to Cain Ahab, he says to the people of Israel, how long will you hesitate between two gods? You see, Elijah sees what's going on with the people. He sees that the people are not fully serving Asherah and Baal, but he also sees that they're not fully serving God. And so he asks them that pointed question, how much longer do you think you can serve two gods at once? How much longer do you think God is going to put up with you offering sacrifices to Baal and Asherah and not standing up for his truth? How long do you think you can get away with this? And so he says, we're going to put God to the test and we're going to put Baal and Asherah to the test. And he says to the prophets, we're going to get two oxen. You get your first choice of ox, cut it up how you will, place it on the altar, 
and then I'm going to get one, and I'm going to cut it up and place it on my altar, and whichever God comes down and consumes our sacrifice, he is the God of Israel. And the people listen to each other, and, and they're thinking, that, that's, that's not a bad idea. Because remember, they're hesitating between the two, and so for the people, they're probably hoping that one of these gods show up. They're probably hoping, because remember, Israel is in a drought. They, they don't have any water. Their animals are dying. They can't grow food. And so they're, they're hoping, <laughs> you know, look at it from their vantage point. I don't care who shows up. God, Baal, Asherah, some other God from Egypt. I just need a God to show up and prove to me that he's out there so that I can have some faith again and so that we know that our land will have water. All right, so the people say, this isn't a bad idea. Let's just wait for them to show, and then we know who to have our faith in. And so they agree to those terms, and the prophets of Baal, they grab their oxen, they cut it up, put it on the altar, and then they, they just begin to shout and pray, and, and they are ready for Baal to come down and consume the fire. But, but something peculiar happens. Baal doesn't show up. And, and, and they're doing all the prayers that they're supposed to do. I mean, they're, they're going through the to-do list of, okay, what, what are we supposed to do first? Did you drain the blood? Yeah, I drained the blood. What else are we supposed to do? Well, did you lay it clockwise or counter? I, I did clock. Okay, turn it around. We got to do it this way. Okay, are we facing the right direction? Which way is the wind blowing? I mean, this was the stuff that, that pagans went through to make sure that their God would show up. They had a set of instructions and to-do lists, and if their God didn't show up, they crossed off that to-do list and said, okay, we're going to move on to the next one. That one didn't work. That incantation isn't working to get God's attention. So now let's go over to this one. Let's, let's practice it this way. And so the 450 prophets of Baal are doing everything they can to get Baal to show up, so that rain will come back to the land. Not only are they screaming and shouting, but they begin cutting themselves. They begin showing Baal how dedicated they are to him. And, and they begin to show Baal that, that they truly do believe, and so they're cutting themselves and showing, look, look, I, I would hurt myself for you. And, and Elijah's sitting back there, and I, I just absolutely love this scene because they're all doing their, their sacrificing and, and shouting, and Elijah's just sitting back going, talk a little louder. You know, maybe Baal has gone to the restroom for a little bit. Maybe you just need to be a little more patient. And he starts to goad them, and, and he says, you know, maybe he's gone on a journey, so he starts to make fun of, you know, the, their concept of who Baal is. He says, well, maybe he's gone on a journey. Leave him a message, and he'll get back to you. Did, did, you, did you try that at all? And, and he's making fun of them. And, and the purpose there being, he's pointing out to Israel, Baal isn't really a god at all. It, it's, not, it's not that he's a lesser god and the god of Israel is greater. What Elijah is pointing out is, he doesn't even exist. And, and as we see through the rest of the Old Testament, we have God proclaiming through his prophets that those are just idols. Those are handcrafted pieces of stone and wood and metal. And they don't, Baal doesn't go on a long journey. He's not even existent. 
And Elijah is trying to get that through to Israel, and not only Israel, to the prophets as well. Baal doesn't exist. You've put your hope and faith in the wrong thing. And so when it finally comes to evening time, they give up. And what they decide is, I I guess Baal isn't going to show. And so now it's Elijah's turn. And of course, the hope that they're going to have in in Baal's camp is that God isn't going to show. And so then if neither God shows up, then, then neither of us were right and neither of us were wrong. So we'll be okay. And Elijah gets up, and the first thing he does is he repairs the altar of God. So the first thing he does is he makes sure that the altar that had been established to worship God and God alone that had been destroyed is put back together. So he goes and he gathers 12 stones, and and the scripture tells us that when he gathers those 12 stones, he does it each for, for the sons of the tribes of Israel. And so there's 12 tribes of Israel, so we're going to represent each of those tribes with the stones, and he puts those around on the altar. And then he begins to dig trenches, and, and he sets the altar all up, and then he gets his oxen. And he prepares it how you're supposed to prepare an oxen for a sacrifice, and he lays it down. And then he does something interesting. So remember, he was goading the prophets of Baal, uh, making fun of them that Baal wasn't showing up. And remember also, he, he said at the beginning that we're not going to light a fire by ourselves. We're not going to try any trickery here. We're not going to proclaim something and then be down here trying to light the wood. And to prove to the people that he isn't doing that, he has them get pitchers of water. So he says, go, go grab some pitchers of water. Th- this timber is really dry. This timber is, is way too dry. It's, it's going to catch fire too easy. You know, I, I, let's give God a challenge here. So he says, go grab pitchers of water, pour it on the fire. And by the way, what's Israel lacking right now? Water. And so he's saying, remember, they went out to look for grass because grass has water in it. That's how dry Israel is right now. And Elijah says, I have such faith and hope in the God of Israel. Go get whatever water you have left in Israel Pour it all over, all over the wood, all over the sacrifice. And so they do that. And then he says, was there any left? He said, yeah, I think there was a little bit at the bottom of that well. Go get some more pitchers. Do it a second time. Okay, so they go out. They do it a second time. They pour it over the sacrifice. And then still Elijah says, boy, you know, this altar, I'm still, I still feel like it is still too dry. Go do it one more time. So they go back and they grab, and my guess is it's probably the last bit of water they have left in the whole nation, but they go and grab the pitchers of water, they pour it over the sacrifice, and and the scripture tells us that it was so soaking wet that even the trenches that he had dug were filled with water. And he says, oh, perfect, perfect. we don't want to waste any water here, that's perfect. Three, Three rounds of pitchers is enough. And he says to the people one more time, come near to me. Everybody needs to listen to this. And so the people come near. And he begins to pray to God. And, and it's a really, a, a really heartfelt prayer. So remember, the pagan gods, they have their set formula that they have to pray. All right? They, they, they don't just, they don't do prayers off the cuff. You know, they've got a pocketbook that they have to follow if Baal is going to listen to them. And Elijah is obviously praying from the heart. 
And he says, God, I want your people to know that you are still God. And God, I want your people to know that when they see this fire that you're about to use to consume this offering, I want them to know that it was you who turned them back, not themselves. God, I, I don't want these people to think that, that you know, they, they were making a good decision all on their own. I want them to know that it was you who spoke with them. And God, I, I don't want them to see me doing it. Lord, I don't want them to say that this was Elijah's doing. I want the proof to be in you. And he prays that over the offering. He prays that over the people. And what happens? God shows up. It says a fire came down and consumed everything. And I like the words that, that are used there. Not only does it consume the offering and the wood and the stones, but it says it, it licked up the water. Everything was gone. It consumed. And when the people saw that, they realized that they were worshiping the wrong God. And they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And that statement right there is really simple. The Lord, He is God. But if you really look at the world that Israel was living in, that's a profound statement. Because first of all, the Lord is, is the name of God. You see, in Scripture, we have the name of God being Yahweh, but the people were so concerned they never wanted to misuse his name. And so what they said instead was the Lord. So it, it's sort of like uh, if, if you grew up and you were told to have manners in your household, you never called an adult by their first name, you called them Mr. or Mrs., Sir or Ma'am. Is that right? Okay, good. We're trying to do that with my kids. Feel free to correct them if they call you by your first name. Uh, but... But that's sort of what Israel did with God. They had his name and they said, this name is too holy for us to use. We don't want to misuse it ever. So why don't we just call him the Lord? And so when Israel, when the people fall on their faces and say, the Lord, he is God, what they're proclaiming is a specific person is God. It is the Lord. It is the, the Holy One of Israel. It is the one that revealed himself to Moses. It's the one that called uh, Abraham from a different nation. It's the one that uh, has been with us this whole time. And so Israel is proclaiming, this is God. And then the second half of that statement, he is God, is very important because Israel didn't believe that there were any other gods. In fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, that first commandment, there shall be no other gods before me, that's actually a little bit of a mistranslation. The statement is actually, there shall be no other gods in addition to me, because they don't exist. And so God just told his people, I'm the only God you need, because none of the others exist in this world. All of the others are just dwindled from wood and, and chiseled in stone, but I'm the real deal. I'm the only one. In fact, when, when Moses asks for God's name, God basically says, well, my name is I am because I am the God. You know, all these other gods, they would ask the question, well, what's your name? And then the God would respond or, or the prophets would respond and say, well, he's the God of the sea or he's the God of death or he's the God of, of the land or he's the God of rain. And then when Moses says, well, who are you the God of? God says, well, I am 
That is who he's the God of. And so when Israel proclaims the Lord, he is God, they are proclaiming there is one God and his name is Lord and he is our God and he is the only God in the world. And so now that hesitation that the people had between Baal and Asherah or, or the God of Israel, they now know God has turned their hearts back to him and say so they fall down and proclaim the Lord. He is God. He is the one that we have chosen here today. And then later on in the passage that we didn't get to, and it's actually a whole other story, is, is Abraham, or uh, excuse me, Elijah, then goes on and, and he prophesies that there is rain coming onto the land. And that's the story where, where his servant holds his hand up and he says, well, there's a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, there it is, rain is coming back to the nation. And of course, in all of this, you know, Ahab is, is devastated. Ahab is devastated that his gods would lose. Uh, 30 years ago, uh, one of the greatest upsets in sports history occurred. And in fact, I, I believe it was either in February or March of 1990, uh, this happened. And if you watch ESPN, every year they have just a short little segment on this upset it was when Mike Tyson faced Buster Douglas in Tokyo. It was such that everybody, everybody had betting lines on Mike Tyson. He was the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. He knocked everybody out that came into the ring with him. And Buster Douglas was just one other boxer that he had to face in order to continue his reign as heavyweight champion. And in fact, the betting odds, and I, and I don't know betting too well, but I know math a little bit. The betting odds were that Mike Tyson would win 42 to 1. I'm not a betting man, but I believe those are good odds in Tyson's favor. I don't see anybody nodding, which is great. That means nobody here bets. Perfect. <laughs> but as Mike Tyson was headed into the rain, the commentators weren't even talking about the fight. They were actually talking about how Buster Douglas was a fan of, of uh, literature and how he was a fan of, of Shakespeare and that his favorite Shakespeare play was, I think, Othello. And, and then they were talking about, well, what would Mike Tyson's favorite play be? Oh, it would probably be Macbeth because there's a lot of death in that play. And then they were talking about how uh, uh, Buster Douglas, he had a dog and his dog's name was Shakespeare and Tyson had a dog. They weren't even talking about the fight. They said, this fight is going to be 90 seconds. Mike Tyson is going to go in. He's going to throw a, an uppercut and knock Buster Douglas out. And so everybody that bet on the fight, everybody that tuned into the fight, had full confidence that it was going to be Mike Tyson as victor. And of course, as the upset goes, he got in the ring and he could not knock out Buster Douglas. And Buster Douglas was a no-name to people. People had never heard of this guy. But a few rounds in, Tyson was struggling, and it was Buster Douglas who knocked out Tyson, and they said, this is the greatest upset we have ever seen. And sure enough, 30 years later, ESPN is still highlighting it every anniversary of that fight. And so, so many people that had hope that Mike Tyson was going to retain that title and move on to fight other guys, their hope was shattered. 
And I think of the prophets of, of Baal and Asherah, and I think of the people of Israel and the issues they, they had with who they were going to put their hope in. And I think of how when Baal and Asherah, uh, when, when their prophets show up and begin to shout and cut themselves, that there was a little bit of hope that Baal would show up. And, and maybe not even in a sinister way, although we know that they're pagan gods and they did, anybody who worshiped those gods did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But I think especially of those Israelites looking at those prophets and thinking, my family's going to die. If one of these gods doesn't show up and send rain on the land, we're not going to make it to tomorrow. I wonder how many people showed up to Mount Carmel and they were just trying to have hope in something and they were putting their hope and faith in the wrong thing. And, and you can sense that even the prophets had true faith and hope, but in the wrong thing. Because as Elijah goads them, they get louder and louder and they cut themselves more and more. And it makes me wonder, have we put some of our hope and faith in maybe the wrong thing? We were just talking out in the, the lobby as we came in, and, and of course, 2020 is going to go down as just the weirdest year in history. I just, <laughs> it, you, know, uh, you know, we're going to tell stories to our grandkids about how, you know, Eden was the first, our daughter Eden was the first class to go fully virtual in school, and she hates it, by the way, if you were wondering. Um, but, it, but as we were talking, we were talking about the fear that some people still have with this virus going around and, and, and the hope that's being put into maybe a, a cure for it or, or uh, some kind of vaccine. And there was something that happened last week, was it, or the week before something political happened in our country? Still going on, isn't it? There are some people that showed up to the polls and, and they dropped their ticket in. And some people, unfortunately, dropped it in with hope and faith that this one candidate would solve whatever problems we have. Now, that's not to say that one or the other candidate is not somebody that you should vote for. I don't want to get in that direction. But I am saying I have ran into people that are taking politics religiously. And so we've got fear going on in the world. We've got politics happening in the midst. And I wonder how many people are looking at this election, which is still going on, and saying, oh man, what's going to happen? Oh no, my family's going to get worse, or my family may get better. And maybe the challenge we have is to take a step back from that and actually look to God and say, God, my faith and hope is in you. God, <laughs> Whatever the outcome here is, yeah, there's one candidate I don't like. Yeah, there's, there's one solution I think would solve our pandemic issue. They never ask me my opinion. But let's take a step back from that and say, but God, whatever is going on there, my hope and my faith is in you. My hope and my faith is in what you can do. My hope and faith is in how you can solve this problem or how you can use this problem in order to reach more people for you. 
And so our calling then is, is to step over that and say, God, turn our hearts back to you. Because I'll make another point out of this passage. Who did Elijah address? He never addressed the prophets. Well, he, he talked to the prophets of Baal about how they were going to do the sacrifices. And he talked to Ahab about gathering the prophets of Baal and the people of Israel. But when all of them showed up, he didn't talk to Ahab and he didn't talk to the prophets. He talked to the people, didn't he? He said to the people of Israel, how long are you going to hesitate between these two? How long are you going to wait for Baal and Asherah to show up? And how long are you going to wait for your hearts to be turned back to God? We have a responsibility in this world to address people who are hesitating between following God or not and let them know, don't hesitate. There is no purpose in searching for life outside of God. There is no purpose in following anybody else but Jesus Christ. Yes, we do need to be involved in politics, and we do need to vote. We do need, and, and it's, okay, it's okay to have candidates you don't like. It's okay to have candidates that you do like. But it's not okay to put your full faith in any of those candidates, whatever position in this government or another government. Our faith is in Jesus Christ and what, what he wants to do in this world. And then finally, how this whole story ended. God is willing to show up. God is willing to speak to people that are hesitating between following him or something else in life. God is willing to demonstrate his love. God is willing to demonstrate his power. If for some reason, we've just gotten away from that. For whatever reason, we, we live in a world that tends to deny miracles and tends to deny the supernatural so that when it occurs, we try to claim that it was something else. In fact, we were watching a children's program a while ago. We, we watch a lot of nature documentaries. And I was just blown away that here's a children's nature documentary and they're talking about animals in other countries and, and practices. And then they just decided to slip in there that miracles don't exist. That while a lot of tribes think they've experienced miracles, but that's because they're eating foods that contain drugs in them. So we had to turn it off and have a talk with the kids about miracles and, and God's working in our life. But God is still willing to perform miracles. This, this isn't just set to the Old Testament. Now, if you go to downtown Eau Claire and set up an altar and try to get God to consume an ox, that's maybe not the direction to go. But God is willing to demonstrate his power and his love in other ways. God is willing to prove to people that he is still there. We need to be bold enough to proclaim that. Proclaim it to the world that God is still available to prove his love. So where do we go from here? Very simply, be prepared to make that proclamation to anyone you run into. Be prepared to tell people as, as maybe politics gets heated or as fear starts to slip in to just simply say, well, my faith and my hope is in God. My faith and my hope is in Jesus Christ. And I know that whatever bad decisions are made, Jesus has my life and Jesus can have your life too. It's as simple as that. So we leave this place
let us be prepared to run into those 450 prophets of Baal. Let us be prepared to run into people that, that have turned away from God, but let us also be prepared to run into people that are hesitating between the two, that are hesitating with following God, and let us be the ones that God uses to proclaim that message so God can draw their hearts back. Let's pray. God, thank you for everything that you have given us. Thank you for everything you have done for us. And in this time, Lord, as, as fear is out there, as, as people are on edge, as, as problems continue to occur, we pray that you calm us. We pray that you watch over us. We pray, Lord, that it is you who we follow. And Lord, we continue to pray for all of those in leadership, uh, in our government, here at the local level, state, in the nation. Lord, we pray that you continue, you continue to work in your people. We pray this all in your name. Amen.